Welcome to the Contrast Church Podcast. Contrast is located in Grandview, Ohio, with the mission to help people be with Jesus, become like Him, and live out His mission together. For more information on attending our meetings, our missional communities, or giving, visit contrast.church. Well, happy Easter, everyone. This is, uh, should be, one of the most exciting days of the year. And uh, I decided to wear a blazer in response to that. So if you're not, normal, if you're not normally here, this is uh, not me. But today it's Easter, so this is what we do. We pull out the big guns. Well, hey, I want to talk about uh, the story of Easter briefly. Um, and what's cool, I think, about the last week is this is the tail end of what we call Holy Week. And so maybe you've heard of that, maybe you haven't. Um, essentially what it is is it's the whole process and week of Jesus coming to Jerusalem, which was on Palm Sunday, which was last Sunday, and then this whole week of just craziness while he's in Jerusalem, leading up to his uh, death on the cross, which was we celebrated on Good Friday, and then today is resurrection, and so we celebrate that of him being raised from the dead. And so we uh, celebrate this whole week, and it kind of all fits together, and so what's cool is we're, we're pulling upon um, last Sunday and Friday today as well. Uh, we're going to be, if you want to grab your Bibles, I'll have some of it up on the screen, but your phone or your Bible, we're going to be in John 20 to 21, most of today. So it's the end of John, the Gospel of John in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and then John. And uh, we're going to be talking about just one of the four accounts of this resurrection. While you're turning there, one of the things if you weren't able to make last Sunday or Friday that we talked a lot about was trying to basically put ourselves into um, first century with these disciples who were experiencing this whole event. A lot of times we read from the pages kind of from afar, from uh, 2,000 years later, and we have a hard time really putting ourselves in the story and really like feeling what they had felt just because we haven't really been exposed to anything like, like they have. Uh, and so one of the most unique things that we think about, and we ended on Friday, was it was probably really awkward, honestly, to everyone, but we ended our service just in silence, and everybody walked out the doors, and um, though it was maybe an introvert's dream, uh, for most of us, it was kind of awkward and weird, and it was like kind of depressing, and the whole point of that was to just take a moment to remember how the disciples were feeling Friday and Saturday, and even in the morning, early in the morning on Sunday. And for us, we know the end of the story, right? We've watched all six episodes of Star Wars, so we know the end. If you haven't, you got a lot of t- you got a lot of time to catch up. But uh, we know the end, and so when we watch one, two, three, four, five, we know what's going to happen in six. And so we kind of have a little bit of an insider uh, for for Easter. But for these disciples, they did not. In fact, I don't know about you, but if you could imagine taking three years of your life from wherever you were doing, your family, your friends, your job, or maybe your college or whatever, and just leaving it to go follow this guy all around with nothing, only to about three and a half years later, be sitting in a room afraid for your life that they're going to find you and kill you as well as they killed your leader. I don't know about you, but I can't imagine that Friday, Saturday, and Sunday uh, morning were, were any of their top days in their life at all. And it's hard for us to feel that. It really is. And so I'm trying my best to help you understand that. But as we read this, we have to realize that um, they're all, the disciples are all spread out. The four different accounts, which I'm just going to kind of cover one today. There's four different accounts, and they all kind of piece together. Um, but the disciples are kind of all over the place, including a lot of the women who follow Jesus. And so uh, there's this crazy kind of they go find Jesus, and there's a bunch of different people finding out at different times. And so I just want to read a little bit of that, uh, starting in verse... Uh, verse 19, 
verse 19. This is essentially, uh, this is the first time that Jesus stands among the apostles in verse 19, chapter 20. He says, on the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the disciples had gathered together and locked the doors of the place because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders. Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side, and the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Now, this is the first instance we get where Jesus is basically revealing himself to all the uh, disciples, his 12 that had followed him, because um, the first time that, that someone finds him was Mary Magdalene, who is going out on, uh, on Sabbath morning to basically go anoint the body, or not anoint, but um, provide perfume and things for the body. And she goes early in the morning when it's still dark, leaves when it's dark, gets there, and the, two, the, the stone is gone. And what else is really interesting is there was probably a good several dozen Roman soldiers that would have been guarding this tomb. In fact, they had the seal of, the, of Caesar, which meant, like, you can't touch it, and if you do, you'll, Rome will you'll pay. And, and all these guys were trained, when, even when they would sleep, they would sleep in such a way that they could never all get attacked or snuck up on. And she gets there, and there's, just like, no one there. And uh, she gets there, she realizes that the stone is, is gone, it's been rolled away, and there's no one in the tomb. So she runs, and she goes and finds Peter and John. They're, they're in Jerusalem, and they run back out to where, where the tomb was, and sure enough, he's not there. And it's crazy because you think about the feeling that they must have felt knowing that he was gone. You, everybody thinks, well, they for sure knew. Like, it all is clicking now. Like, Jesus said he was going to die and raise again. Like, but it, it, it's very clear that they did not because later that day, they're still hiding, fearful of what might happen to them with the Jews. And so they, Jesus comes in here, and the first thing he says to them is, peace be with you. Now, what's interesting is after, after he says that, uh, a lot of us kind of forget this, this little part here. Um, but he says, peace be with you. Just as the Father has sent me, I also send you. And after he said this, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, they are forgiven. If you retain anyone's sins, they are retained. So this is like immediately, he's like, hey, I'm alive, everyone, like, Peace means chill, like, I'm not a ghost, I'm real. And he's like, Let's, we got a job to do. I mean, I could not imagine someone being dead. You think, like, all hope is lost. He just shows up, and he's like, what are you guys doing? Like, let's go. Let's get, let's get doing this. Like, he gives them the Holy Spirit, and he commissions them immediately. And uh, if you read a little bit later, I'm kind of skipping through it, but Thomas wasn't there, and Thomas was the big doubter of the group. He was the one who was, like, always fact-checking anything you'd say on Google um, or Wikipedia, and he was like, I don't believe it, I don't believe it. And so eight days later, Jesus comes, and he reveals himself to Thomas, and he shows Thomas, hey, everything they're saying is real. And so these 12 disciples, basically, what's so crazy about it, and what, what we celebrate, the resurrection, they just, like, did not understand. I mean, the fact that Jesus was, well, he was revealing himself to them, he revealed himself to several other people several times, it's, it's really hard for us to, like, imagine that, because we know nothing other than Jesus resurrected on Sunday, and, and that's what we're excited about, and that's what uh, we, we, we celebrate. And for these disciples, they have a really hard time figuring this out, because when we move to chapter 21, uh, I want to talk about Peter. And in chapter 21, what's unique about Peter, we've been talking about him this whole week, is Peter is like the perfect depiction of all of us at some point, because he, he says bold things, he thinks he's like got it in the bag, and he falls on his face all the time. Like, he'll say certain things. He's like, I will die for you, Jesus, and then he denies him, and he falls asleep when Jesus asks him not to, and he, like, says bold things, not knowing what he really means. 
And so Peter is like the perfect depiction, I think, of us a lot of times. We, we think we're so much better than we really are. And honestly, when, when Peter sees Jesus, I cannot imagine how he felt. Because just before on Friday, we talked about how he, he had screwed up big time. Like, I, it would be, almost be like you knew, like, you screwed up your job and you were going to get fired. And it was just a matter of time until your boss came to, like, fire you. And you're just, like, sitting at work and he comes in the door and you're just like, oh, no, <laughs> it's happening like, I imagine Peter was like, oh my gosh, you're alive, this is amazing. But deep down inside, he's like, I am like so in trouble. Like, I probably can't even look at him because I'm so ashamed at what I had done just a few days before. And so he's, he's probably just sitting with this. And so one of the first things, as simple as we can remember in the Easter story and what makes it significant in Peter's life and in our life is that the start of this story is Jesus basically allowing Peter to just continually fall on his face and fall on his face before Jesus dies. And we would just call that sin. It's Peter really just missing the mark of what God's intending for him. It's the, the opposite of the way of God. And sometimes the best way to describe it is it's us trying to be God, thinking we know right. And Peter would say things that he didn't really think through. He didn't have the faith that would follow his words. And so Peter just starts off just simple. It's like Good Friday is reminding us of the sin and the weight that put Jesus on the cross. And that is the sacrifice. So the sin that we all have, and if you, if you don't believe about sin, you can go hang out with a couple two-year-olds in the classroom over there, and you'll figure out pretty quickly that no one taught them to steal that toy from the other kid, but that's just how we are. We're just, when we're older, we're sneakier about it, and it's bigger items like cars, not, to, not little toys. But we have a sin nature, uh, and, and, and so our sin caused the need for sacrifice, and Jesus is that sacrifice on the cross. Now, what's fascinating about it is, like I said, we know the end, so we're excited about even the cross, knowing there's a hope for the resurrection. These disciples are still completely disoriented and disillusioned and devastated and confused. And so Peter is just sitting currently right now with sin and sacrifice, not even really knowing it's sacrifice, and he's sitting in, in this tension. And what we don't realize is it's over several days. It's essentially in chapter 21, which is where we're going to get into, this has been like a couple weeks since Jesus has resurrected. So it's not just like the next day. It's several days later, and he had already gotten commissioned, like we said, go and, and uh, forgive the sins of others, preach the gospel, basically. So in chapter 21, it says this. It says in verse 1, After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, which is the Sea of Galilee. Now, this is how he did so. Simon Peter Thomas, called Didymus, Nathaniel, who was from Canaan, Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples, so a good chunk of them, were together. Simon Peter tells them, I'm going to go fishing. We will, and then they say, we will go with you, they replied. They went out, they got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Now, this is a, this is a really fascinating portion of, of the this story because if we can't forget, about a week ago, Jesus came to them, said, peace with you, and he said, hey, we're not done. Like, let's, go, let's go continue doing what we're going to do. And a week goes by, and all of a sudden, Peter's like, you know what, I'm going to go fishing. <laughs> and it's interesting because most scholars you read, they all disagree on, like, why they went fishing. Whereas, would they, had they fallen away, where they didn't believe in Jesus, were they sad, were they just trying, they need some money, because they had been, like, living with Jesus and they hadn't had any money. We don't really know for sure, but all we know is these disciples were clearly purposeless, because Jesus had given them purpose, and that would have been pretty, keeping them pretty busy to go all around spreading the news, Jesus has resurrected. I mean, if you were in that time and you saw Jesus and you felt him hand to hand, you would literally go tell everyone you know. You'd post it on Facebook, on Instagram, you'd take a video, whatever, right? You'd tell everyone. So it's weird that we see a week later that it's almost like nothing had happened to them. 
But, and we think, that's crazy. Oh, that's crazy. Like, if Jesus showed up with me right here, like, there's no doubt that I would be telling everyone in the world. But I, I ask yourself, I mean, is that, is that actually true? Is there, has there been ways in your life that Jesus has revealed himself, but you're so blind and disillusioned to what you want that even though you see it, you don't really want to believe it? I think in these moments, we realize that this amount of time had went by that, that they're not necessarily doing what they should be doing. And so Peter, what does he know? He's a fisherman. He's like, you know what? Let's go fish. And so most of them, he's kind of the leader, so they're like, all right, we're going to go fishing. And so they go out on a boat, and there they are fishing. I just cannot imagine. It would be like if you were going to go to college, and you're like a freshman, and you're so pumped for your degree, and you take three and a half years off to go with this guy. He dies, and he comes back, and, and he's like, hey, we're going to do this. And you're like, actually, I think I'm going to go back. I want to be a nurse. And I'm like, wait, but you just gave like three and a half years of your life to this, and like it's still moving forward. And it's like, actually, I'm just... I think college is for me, you know? Like, it just doesn't make any sense. Why would you go back fishing? And the reason why I think he goes back fishing is because it's what he knows. It's comfortable. It's what he had felt comfortable with, and, and the weight of what Jesus was calling them to was a lot. And, and thinking about, well, what are we, we kind of good at? We're kind of good at fishing. They go out and they fish. This is where the story gets crazy. In verse 4, when it was already very early in the morning, Jesus stood on the beach of, of the sea, but the disciples did not know it was Jesus. And so Jesus said to them, Children, you don't have any fish, do you? And they replied, No. He told them, Throw your nets on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. So they threw their net, and they were not able to pull it in because of the large number of fish. Then a disciple whom Jesus loved, which is John writing, said to Peter, It is the Lord. So Simon Peter, when he heard that it was the Lord, tucked in his outer garment, for he had nothing underneath it, plunged into the sea, Meanwhile, the other disciples came with the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from land, only about a hundred yards away. It's interesting. Jesus yells from the shore, and he, he basically says, hey, hey, guys, throw your net just on the right side of the boat. And they'd been fishing all night, which is the best time to fish in the Sea of Galilee. And they haven't caught anything. And this random guy from the shore yells this. And it's, it's literally like a replica of what had happened when he first called them. There was, they were fishing. He says, hey, try that. And they, they pull it in, and sure enough, there's fish everywhere. And they're like, and who was this guy? And he's like, I'm going to make you fishers of men. And he's literally, they're stuck in the sin and sacrifice, right? And, and Jesus is not done there. He's not done there. He moves into what we would call restoration. That's what the resurrection is all about, is it's proof of the sacrifice moving us into something else. So the, the sacrifice is what allows us right relationship with God, but the restoration is where Jesus is like, we're not done yet. That's the same reason why whenever you read the story about the tomb, they go into the tomb, it says that his, uh, what had been on his face covering was not just thrown aside or taken, which would be highly, it would, it would be highly suggestive that if that was the case, maybe someone had stolen him or a robber, but it was, it was folded neatly. And, and, and at the sign at that time when you're eating dinner, you would do that was, I'm not done yet. Don't take my plate. And he folds that and he puts it in the corner of where he was resting and that's basically saying, like, Jesus is like, I'm not done yet. And so there, even the resurrection itself is not the end. It's, 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 if anything, it's the beginning of an exciting new opportunity for, the, for us, the church, for the disciples. And so what does he do? They, they resort back to what they know, what they're comfortable with. And Jesus says, hey, I'm not done with you. And he, he gives them a miracle that would literally, and that's why it's fascinating that John, John recognizes, he's like, it's got to be Jesus. I mean, they look at all these fish, and they had just done it a few years ago. Same thing happened. And then Peter's like, what? And he jumps out into the water which is so silly because I, I think they beat him back to shore on the boat. 
But that's Peter, right? That's us. We like are so, yes, Jesus, yes, Jesus. We go do crazy things, and we're like, honestly, that wasn't the most practical. But he jumps into the water, he swims to Jesus, and Jesus is at the shore. Now, what do we see in verse 9? When they got on the beach, they saw a charcoal fire ready with a fish placed on it and bread. Jesus said, this is so funny. He already has fish on the fire. He says, bring some of the fish you have just now caught. (laughs) It's almost like, yeah, like, you can bring that over. I already have some, but you can bring yours that I got you to catch. It's like so funny. We like think we do things for the Lord. And he's like, yeah, I'm good, but sure, bring yours over too. And, and he makes him this, this, this breakfast. And one really unique thing about this charcoal fire is the last time, most likely, uh, that we see this in the Bible is uh, when Peter denied Jesus three times. He's standing around the fire watching Jesus be denied in the courtyard of the high priest and and he's, he's hiding, kind of trying to watch. And he's standing around this, like, fire pit, this charcoal fire with all these people. And he's smelling charcoal, and he's denying Jesus. And he comes back to the shore, and the same smell, sure enough, comes up. Jesus is making a charcoal fire. And I cannot imagine, they say, that scent is the strongest link to memory. And we had known that Peter had been, I can imagine, he's just feeling the weight of, of his betrayal. We haven't seen any resolution yet, so he's still, he's still feeling it. He sits in this charcoal fire and he smells it. And I mean, like I said, it's like your boss is going to fire you. You just feel this tension and you feel this, this rift in your relationship. So Simon Peter, when he says, bring some of the fish you caught, Simon Peter went aboard. He pulled to the net uh, to shore. It was, it was full of large fish, 153. But although there were so many, the net was not torn. Come have breakfast, Jesus says. But none of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? Because they're like, oh man, he's here. Because they knew it was the Lord, Jesus came and took the bread, gave it to them, and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. The third time. Like I said, he had already been with them two other times. We forget that in the story. This isn't like he resurrected, this is the first time they see him. So clearly there was this like tension that they had felt from the resurrection. And, and he, the third time, finally it's like this just... It's, it's undeniable. Jesus just says, like, this is so obvious. I'm gonna, you're going to pull up this massive thing of fish, and you are going to remember why I called you in the first place. And their only response was essentially just, let's get back over there, and let's just shut up, <laughs> right? Let's sit around the fire and listen. Now, what's cool about this is, is he's not just restoring the disciples, like I said, sin, sacrifice, restoration, but he's showing us the value of, of the people who are so far off from God, he runs the most towards, and he takes a private moment with Peter in, uh, in verse 10, 11. Or sorry, not verse 10, 11, um, verse 15. It says, Then when they finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these do? And he replied, Yes, Lord, you know I love you. Jesus told him, Well, all right, feed my lambs. Second time, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He replied, yes, Lord, you know I love you. Jesus told him, shepherd my sheep. Jesus said a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was distressed that Jesus asked him a third time, do you love me? And said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus replied, feed my sheep. Jesus is, is what he's doing here is, is brilliant. Is He is giving him three opportunities to profess his love, Peter's love for Jesus, because he had taken three opportunities and denied Jesus just a few weeks before. Jesus is not content with just the sacrifice. He wants full restoration. He wants every part of your heart. He doesn't just want a little bit. He doesn't just want the get-out-of-jail-free card. He wants every part of your heart. 
and he's going to work, and he's going to fight to get every part of that. And he gives Peter this opportunity here. Simple, easy question. He asks Peter three times. Peter says, yes, of course, three times. And this is our resurrection promise today. It's that regardless of where you are, whether you're, you're someone who's like really just grap- grappled with the resurrection story, maybe you're kind of a Christian, maybe you're not, you've wrestled with it. For all of us, it is a reminder that there's no one too far from the love of Christ, that there is no boundary that we've created ourselves that we feel like is out there that's too far from the love of Christ. Jesus will take you and hunt you down, and he will meet you exactly where you are, and he'll fight for full restoration. And that's what he does with Peter. He honestly didn't need to. He didn't need to spend his own time asking those questions. He didn't need to give him three chances. He had already failed him so many times, and there had been this two weeks where they're just kind of doing nothing. I can't imagine how that felt. It's like, I came back, I give you this exciting role, and you guys are just kind of chilling around, like, not doing anything. And, and here he sets him right again. His grace just continually finds Peter. And so the last part, sin, sacrifice, restoration, the last part is probably the hardest, is commission. Jesus, we have sin. Jesus sacrifices. He's restoring us on the cross and now in the future, making us more like him. And then the last thing is he doesn't call us just to sit around. He calls and he commissions us. The exact next verse, which is verse 18 Jesus says, I tell you the solemn truth. This is after he said, I love you, three times. He says, I tell you the solemn truth. When you were young, you tied your clothes around you and went wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and others will tie you up and bring you where you do not want to go. Now Jesus said this to indicate clearly by what kind of death Peter was going to glorify God. And after he said this, Jesus told Peter, one more time, follow me. The restoration immediately it leads into a commission. And, and it's funny because the commission is terrifying. The commission is your life. The commission is, hey, this is, this is what you're doing. And he says, one more time, follow me. And for many of us, that is our, that, that's our call, is, is to die for Jesus and to be made, made alive in him. And sometimes we want to give him parts of us. We want to give him little pieces. We want to say, well, it sounds really good, but like, I don't like the whole death part. Like, can I just die of old age? That'd be really great. And then I will do it. It sounds great. But 11 out of the 12 disciples died a terrible death. John got exiled to an island and died lonely. But 11 of them got tortured and killed. And the restoration into commission is what's so powerful in Peter's life because he had failed and failed and failed. And Jesus just doesn't give up on him. He says, follow me. So it's a huge symbol or reminder to us that, that no matter how far we think we are from the love of Christ, that, that he meets us where we are. And he, and he calls us to something bigger and greater as well. He doesn't just set us there. It's not just, like I said, it's not just the get-out-of-jail-free card because the get-out-of-jail-free card just gets you out of jail one time. What he's doing is he's more interested in your heart so you never go to jail, so we don't even need jails. <laughs> That's how it works. It's not just, oof, you're free that time. It's, no, a life of grace in such a way that our hearts are changed, our lives are changed, and we lean into Jesus' commission for us. And that's what he's doing with Peter. It's one thing to, to give grace and to save someone. It's another thing to continually save them and draw them into your mission. And so he had done that when he first saw them. They didn't do so well. He pulls the fish out. He takes Peter aside. He restores his leadership. And we remember, I remember this is the point his day. I said this on Friday. Jesus tells Peter before he died, he's with him in, um, the day before he dies. In Luke 22, he says, when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. He tells him, like, when you turn back, like, Jesus, knowing this whole, prog- this whole progress, this whole plan, right, when you turn back, you'll strengthen your brothers, meaning, like, whenever you, I restore you in a little while, you have no idea what's going on, 
that's when you're going to strengthen your values. And Peter is the rock of the church. And so as we transition into a time of uh, the Lord's Supper, I want to invite up the band. Uh, we, we offer this every, every Sunday, and basically the Lord's Supper is a way for us to uh, remember the sacrifice that Jesus made and, uh, and, and the restoration that he is making in our, our hearts and lives and commissioning us into something greater. And so what is so cool about this is that we, we get to see the story of Peter. We don't just kind of, we're not just kind of left there. Well, he said, follow me, and that's all we hear, because that's kind of the end of John with Peter's story. And we read in Acts 2, 22, it says this. This is just shortly after. Peter and their whole uh, group of disciples are filled with the Spirit. They start speaking in crazy languages, and everyone's like, what's going on? These guys are drunk. And they're like, no, it's like 10 a.m. We're not drunk. And Peter says this. He says, men of Israel, listen to these words. Jesus, the Nazarene, a man clearly attested to you by God with wonderful deeds, wonders, and miraculous signs that God performed among you through him, just as you yourselves know. This man who was handed over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, you executed, you, the people there, by nailing him to the cross at the hand of Gentiles, of Romans, but God raised him up, having released him from the pains of death because it was not possible for him, him to be held in its power. He says later, this Jesus God raised up, we are all witnesses of it. So then exalted to the right hand of God and having received the promise of the Holy Spirit from the Father, he has poured out what you both see and hear. And, and then he closes, and this is like his little sermon. He gets up and he tells us to thousands of people. He says, therefore, let all the house of Israel, it's all the Jewish people, all the Jerusalemites who watched the crucifixion, and remember on Friday they went away beating their chests because they're like, oh no, I think we screwed up. All these people are listening he says, let, it, let all the house of Israel know beyond a doubt that God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Peter is restored. He goes into, he follows his commission. And what happens? When they hear this, in verse 37, they were acutely distressed. That's a polite way of saying they were wrecked. And said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, what should we do then, brothers? And Peter says to them, repent. Each one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promises for you and your children, for all who call yourself, uh, who, call, who calls Lord, um, with many other words, he testified and exhorted them, saying, save yourself. In verse 41, so those who accepted his mes message were baptized, and that day about 3,000 people were added. Only a few weeks later, Jesus, or Peter is commissioned, and he leads thousands to Jesus. That moment during the crucifixion where they didn't really understand the sacrifice, they didn't really get it, but they knew something was wrong, Peter uses that, and he leads them into a restoration and a commission, and that is why we're here today, is because of Peter. We're sitting in these chairs because of Peter and the disciples were faithful. And so I want to give you an opportunity to take the Lord's Supper, which is uh, his blood and his body, it's symbolic, that he shed for us, and we take it as a reminder to reflect, to reflect on our sin, to reflect on his sacrifice that he made for us and to, ref to reflect on areas that we are being restored and, and the commission that he's given us. And so during this song, I would encourage you to take some time and reflect. Um, you can just sit and, and take time and take that on your own. If you follow Jesus, that's what we uh, do. And then if, if you want prayer, we actually have people in the back that would love to pray for you. They are, uh, you can ask any questions, um, and they'll pray for you. We'd love for you to do that as well. And uh, we just are going to sing this uh, song for you guys while you do that. So you can go ahead and take time and do that. Thank you for listening to the Contrast Church Podcast. 
To learn more about us and how you can be a part of it, visit contrast.church.